The Six Pointer Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Six Pointer Podcast, a very special 99th edition of the Six Pointer Podcast. Uh, I am very, very pleased to be joined uh, by my brother Luke and Kevin. Uh, Matthew, the host, as always, really, really pleased to be with you tonight to celebrate a Palace win, uh, 1-0 at home against West Bromwich Albion. Uh, today, a very, very uh, mixed weather type Sellers uh, party, <laughs> that's for sure. I think we had everything today, didn't we? Um, Luke, how are you? Up the Palace. Oh, no, I'm too, I'm too soon. Uh, good, mate. Yeah, not too bad. How are you doing? I'm good. You're doing the end of the pod before we even started. Kevin, are you with me, are you with me a bit more? I, I, listen, I'm always with you, Matt. I'm, I'm, I'm connected. I'm like, you know, I'm like your brother from another mother. You know the rules. So I, I'm with you, mate. I'm with you. Up the Palace, though. Up the Palace. Up the Palace, as always. Uh, don't forget, at Six Pointer Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, we love to hear from you. Thank you for getting in contact, everyone. Uh, please do continue to do so. Uh, so we are celebrating the Palace win tonight, a 1-0 uh, victory. Uh, very interesting VAR decision that we will uh, talk over uh, shortly. Going to split the pod into two halves this evening. First half, we'll talk about the game itself. Uh, and second, I'll pick up another related Palace points from the last week or so. Um, Palace made one change going into the game today. Uh, and Josh Townsend replaced by Wilfred Zahar. Obviously, Wilfred's going to come in. But Kev, harsh on Townsend to be the one dropped? Yeah, I think possibly, Matt. I think he's mostly disappointed, but that's great if they're disappointed when they're being dropped. You know, I thought it could, it potentially could have been Eze, but in fairness, I thought Eze did pretty well. So I know we'll come on to it. So yeah, I think I think it was it was going to be difficult to drop Jordan, wasn't it? Let's be honest, because of his work rate at Spurs and what he does for us. Um, so it was either going to, in my eyes, it was mostly going to be Eze or or Andros, and you know, it's just that just the luck of the draw. I think. Uh, I think because Eze had such a good game against West Brom last time, that might have gave him the nod for, for this one. But uh, yeah, that was yeah, un- unlucky on that context though. But can't complain. And, and Luke, do you think the rest of that start eleven picks itself now? Pretty much, given the injuries that we've got, I think. Um, I mean, you'd argue that you, potentially you might play Mitchell instead of PVA, and and you know, there's still the argument around sort of the man with the future at Crystal Palace versus the man that doesn't, the sort of Mateta versus Benteke argument up front. But yeah, I, I'm with Kev on, I, I expected, expected, or I wouldn't have been surprised if Eze was dropped, especially given that Jeffrey Schlupp has now come back to full fitness. Uh, and it was great to see him get another 15, 20 minutes again today. Obviously, a starting lineup with Wilfred Zaha back in the team. Um, as Palace fans, we're going to be happy. And, and Wilf was the subject of a bit of attention on the telly today, wasn't he, in the media, because he went ahead with his um, action of standing up when the rest of the players took the knee. I think he called it standing tall. Uh, he's encouraging other players to do the same. Uh, I mean, we expected it, didn't we? Um, and the cameras were obviously on him because they they knew from what he'd said. I think it was on that uh, podcast, actually, on, on the yeah. Judy podcast. I think he first mentioned, actually, which is well worth checking out if you haven't already. Uh, comes loads, loads of points on that podcast. But, you know, we, we expected it and he, and, he, and he followed through with it and he's clearly taken, taken a stand um, in, in, a, in a sort of a different way to, to make a mark. So, so fair play to him, um, Kev. I mean, the media obviously picked up on it. We talked about it before. Um, yeah. were, were, you, were you surprised by it or was it kind of expected? Um, what you had? Yeah, I wasn't surprised, Matt, because I think, as you say, he mentioned it two or three weeks ago. So I think we knew it was coming. Um, but I was still even right up to the point when he did it. I didn't know whether he was going to. 
And and you know what, as you've just said, I think fair play to him. He he's made his stand. He's been very clear for the reasons why. He's also been, as I understand it, very respectful of what other players do. And as I think a lot of, I think it was Efren Akuku who was on the commentary, you know, quite rightly, every every man to, you know, to make his own choice. So fair play to Wilfred for what he's done. Uh, and, uh, you know, if he's called it standing tall, then that's great. Uh, you know, fair play. What was your take on it, Matt, before you go to your brother? Just, I, I fully expected him to do it. You know, he's clearly a, a gentleman who, who follows through on, on what he says. Actions follow words with him. Um, and, and he's clearly passionate about, about about expressing his views in this way and, and fair play to him. You know, it's every individual's um, gesture to, to take uh, the knee or to do otherwise. It's their own choice. And and, and we, I do wonder if we might see more people uh, doing it because he is he's raising a very valid point that he doesn't see enough action being taken. Lots of sort of gestures and and, and, and good um, sentiments, but maybe not as much actually happening um, tangibly, which is which is a fair enough point. Um, Luke, did you want to add anything? To just back up, your, your boy's point, I think that, you know, he, he, he put out the statement pre-match because obviously he knew it was going to create um, a lot of talking points. And arguably, it, it's been more effective in if he had taken a knee, you know, sort of thing, because it's made people talk about the issue more. And... So from Zahar's perspective, you know, from Will's perspective, if if he's taken a knee and he has done all season, he's seen not only his own teammates, but, but other players forget to do so and try to run into the other half as the whistle's blown. And he's also subject himself to, to racial abuse uh, after games and Instagram, on, on Twitter, you know, things that he's made very public. You know, you can understand his viewpoint that, that he doesn't think it's doing enough. They're, Clinton Morrison, you know, said exactly that, that it raises the awareness of it. But also he said that, you know, Paul Merson's son, now when he plays football in the back garden, he takes a knee. So it's obviously he's having an effect to an extent, but you can understand Zahar's um, frustrations with it. Uh, uh, he, he called on uh, social media companies and, and other people to take more accountability, um, which is what we all want to see, don't we? Because um, we really need to wipe out this sort of abhorrent uh, abuse that, that he receives, Kev. Yeah, no, I was just going to say exactly that without going to death, exactly that. I think the reality is that he said it's because he still continues, as I'm sure many other players do, to receive unacceptable abuse. Any abuse is not acceptable. We know that um, over colour, skin, whatever. And, and he and I think that's where he's really raising it. And I and I absolutely applaud him for doing that. And uh, and I think he should be applauded. And I think we will see potentially other players taking the same stance because I think. I don't know how it's been received. Uh, I've not looked at a lot of the press tonight or social media, but I'd like to think that a lot of people will, you know, whether it be secretly or openly applauding him and thinking, yeah, I'm going to do the same and, and fair play to Wilf. I think they mostly wait to see what reaction there is before they either jump on the bandwagon and follow. Uh, but you always need someone strong to take that first stance, don't you? Yeah, well, this this is the first Premier League player to do this. So it's going to draw a lot of attention. Let's not forget that, you know, Les Ferdinand, who who holds a is it director of football position at QPR now, I think he yeah. is, or sporting director. Yeah. You know, he came out months ago saying that, you know, his players won't be doing it because he felt that it wasn't effective anymore. It was just part of the routine. You know, I think Derby County as well have, have done similar. So yeah. whilst Wilf isn't the first, he's the first Premier League player. And, and if it draws more attention to it uh, and gets people talking about it, then he, he's 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 made his point yeah. really, hasn't he? Yeah. Very much so. 
very much so. I, I, I mean, the first half itself, once it got going then, had quite a few talking points. So I, I really enjoyed the first half. I thought it was a good game of football. I thought West Brom were a really good side in that first half. They they, they play some good stuff. Um, they clearly lack, um, like, similar to us, really, the sort of the finishing touch to, to things. They, they get the ball into the right places and, and, and areas. And there are a couple of players who are quite effective. Gallagher, I think, is on loan from mm-hmm. Chelsea. And the chap with... I think you sent a text about it when he went down the second half loop, but the chat with OK on the, on the back of his uh, shirt, and I'm not going to try and pronounce these. He's, he's, um, <laughs> well, I can't even recall it's trying to pronounce it actually. But um, he, I, I actually, you know what? I actually thought he'd be a good placement for Luca actually. But we come back to that later on in the, in the pod. I thought he was really good. But they had a good individual set of players, and I thought they got themselves up the mm-hmm. pitch. I was really impressed with Palace's high press actually, pretty much from the off. Uh, and, and, and you know, OK, the, the first half sort of was a bit of a game of attrition, really, wasn't it? We we, we mm. sort of had the first talking point. I think Ben Teke's volley was the first real chance of of note, if I remember rightly. Um, I think we're kind of 20 or so minutes in. Yeah, I can see you, we're on video, and I can see you both um, uh, trying to, trying to remember that. that one. <laughs> um, but, um, but apart from that, it wasn't too many chances, but some good football played until... Um, the sort of the VAR uh, talking point on 35 minutes, I think it was, for mm, Palace. Yeah, yeah, minutes. yeah, I mean, obviously, the VAR talking point, I mean, let's be honest, it's we were bright with a free kick. Uh, clever bit of play from uh, Wilf and whoever took the free kick. I must admit, PVA. I can remember who played PVA, yeah. So PVA's played it into him. Wilf's obviously spun away very cleverly and then almost blindly, hasn't he, put the ball into the danger zone. I really don't know what the young man was thinking of with his arm. I mean, if he was onside, it was it was a penalty all day long. But I, I think what we must say as well, uh, and I think we all commented afterwards about how good the West Brom keeper is. I know he's been playing very well for them. The save he made, I mean, in fairness to Luca, the concentration on that volley. We said the ball that come out of the sky for Christian's volley at Brighton was a good one. But this came down from quite a bit of height and Luca's concentration and technique, that was a super strike. And it almost that, you know, that was a, a great bit of football straight after that from Luca. And I thought Luca played very well today, actually. Uh, took his penalty very well. But I thought we were very clever with the uh, with the free kick, created that opportunity. And, and I've got to be honest, I I never felt really uncomfortable today. I thought West Brom looked competent, but I never felt threatened. And I, I honestly thought the first goal was going to be critical. I know, Luke, you then put some stats up later, which I think Sky Sports put up. And, you know, if you're a West Brom fan, you wouldn't have wanted to see what those stats were um, because I think I, I think 44 games, they've not won from going behind. Um, and, and I just thought, I thought we looked comfortable. And I, I text you boys, I said, if we win ugly today, I don't care. And sometimes I like to see us play a bit of football. But today, I thought we were very, very good. And as you say, good bit of VAR work there, Matt. What was your take on the VAR? Well, do, do you know what? When I saw that stat you mentioned, when I saw that thing about West Brom coming behind, you just thought, ah, it's the Palace, uh, Palace, <laughs> Palace in town. Because yeah. I, think, I think I also saw a stat that, that, that we played them sort of 20 times in the Premier League um, and they've only beaten us once. Wow. Um, so again, today was set up for them to do us over, wasn't it? Really, yeah. yeah uh, but it was yeah. it was a professional Palace performance. I mean, for the penalty, uh, when I saw saw it happen live, I thought that's handball. Yeah. Um, and a number of the players reacted. Um, actually, and actually, historically, Palace players don't tend to react to to these sorts of decisions, do they? We've been critical historically of that in the past few years, not just this season, but, the, mm. but a number of them did, and. Um, uh, yeah, and then 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 uh, the only concern I had was when they then look at the offside thing, 
yeah. when they were starting to move that line. Oh, and I don't God. know and what they do with all those his lines. His arm. His arm. But Blokes what were they doing? There was a line. There was a line they were drawing, which is about <laughs> ten meters behind where they were. I don't know what they were trying to do, but yeah, they drew all their lines and whatever yeah. it was, and the, 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 yeah, the elbow thing. And that, that was the only worry, right? That he might have been slightly off, but he wasn't. It was clear. It was clearly on from the from the arm side. It's called yeah. it. um, <laughs> armpit. But um, but yeah, and then and then Luca did what he doesn't normally do for a penalty, which is pretty much place it in a corner. He normally absolutely smashes it, but he placed it tonight um, or today rather. Um, uh, yeah, so 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 you know, we, you know, we were we were. We were good for our um, our lead going into the into the first half. I felt I think we I think we just edged it um, in terms of performance and, and chances. Yeah, interesting. I think it was Fur Furlong, the, 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 yeah. the young lad yeah. who gave away the Paul Furlong's also, son. That's right. Yeah, yeah, he also obviously scored an own goal up at the Hawthorns, didn't he? So he obviously loves the Palace. Um, I think he was trying <laughs> to um, he was trying to reach there with his chest, wasn't he? But he was never going to get there, and his arm was in an unnatural position, and you know it was a penalty. Interesting that he he argued so much. I, I can only assume it was something to do with the language that he used to the referee um, for him to get a yellow card off the back of it because it was a blatant penalty. Even the West Brom players, I think, would have accepted that. Um, yeah. So very very strange for him to contest that. But yeah, Luca was uh, interviewed post match and he said he would, would have preferred his shot beforehand to go in rather than the penalty. <laughs> but um, yeah. it was a great sa- save from Sam Johnson, who I think who's saved actually made the most saves in the Premier League this season. Lovely to see an yeah. English goalkeeper do so well. Kev, me and you spoke about. Um, during the game around sort of ho- hopefully he should be in England contention with the sort of form he's in um, I- I'd-, I'd certainly in current form place him above sort of Pope and, and Pickford if I'm honest I-, I think he's you know come through Man United and had a-, a career of a lot of loans and he's 28 years old he's got 10 years left himself you know in, in the game yet so um, hopefully we'll see him at the Euros in, in the summer but yeah Luca. Great penalty, you know, very calm, very collected. It was interesting to see Sam Johnson's uh, tactics. Sort of, there was a lot of clapping, wasn't there, and a lot of shouting, trying to put Luke off. And you know, listeners, if you're interested in that sort of stuff, uh, listen to the Goal- Goalkeepers Union podcast that'll be out on Monday. That they're sort of going to in-depth analysis on that. But yeah, I, I felt that to be honest with you, Matthew, I, I disagree with you. I think the second half, Palace looked better than the first. And had it not been for the penalty, I think there would have been a few dejected fans at halftime. If I thought it was, it was a pretty dire game. Gallagher, Johnston, and, and Luca only really providing the, the the bits of quality in that first forty-five. It, it's just interesting because I th- I thought across the park, Palace had players who had good performances. I mean, you, Kev, you mentioned Eze. I thought Eze did have a good game today. Yeah, I yeah, thought he got agree. I thought he got on the ball, and I definitely think there's something will be back in the team that helps him. It alleviates yeah. the pressure. Um, of him being the only one who sort of is going to run at anyone, but I thought he did really well today. Do you know, Luca passed forwards today. Yeah, he did. And that for yeah. me was a massive difference. He was passing yeah. forwards. I thought, in comparison, Gyro had a quiet game, but I thought Gyro yeah. played the Luca role today, whereas Luca played the more progressive role. Which was really impressive. Yeah. I thought Cahill had another absolutely solid game. Um, yeah. There were times when he was so under pressure, and you could just he can use his body to shield the ball so well and let the ball come across him and change direction. I mean, you can, we've got to give him another contract. I thought Joel Ward was really good today as well. I thought he had another good game. He, yeah. he was really getting involved with, um, oh, who was on the left side for them? Was it Phillips? Was he on the right side? Yes, there was yeah. A, yeah, I think it was, it was Phillips, wasn't it? I think he was having a couple of run-ins with. Were, I think there was a few battles with him and Phillips, yeah. yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And I actually thought PVA also defensively, had a good game today as yeah. well. I, I, th- I thought the whole defence was good, Matt. 
I thought the whole defence was because, you know, Chicky played very well. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, you know, they, they didn't really penetrate. I think there was that one chance in, in the first half, wasn't there, where the ball went, they went to the back post and it was headed back. And in fairness, Chicky went for it and he seemed to miss it. And then I think Sam, uh, not the kiddie um, from Chelsea on loan, his first touch Gallagher. wasn't the greatest. And we, Gallagher's first touch wasn't yeah. the greatest and we managed to do it. But but I thought we looked comfortable uh, all over the park. I th- as I said earlier, I, th- I thought Luca had one of his better games today and he seemed to be a bit more confident. And, you know, he, he put the penalty away. So I think that, he, you know... If you've if you've struck a ball as well as he did, and the keeper makes a good save, and then you score the penalty, you're going to be feeling quite good. And and he seemed to grow into the game in the second half. And I thought I thought we nullified him. I think there's a lot to be said. I mean, we we've had the pleasure of uh, of uh, Sammy Lee and um, Big Sam uh, for us for that period of time. Obviously, when he kept us up, I think it's very noticeable at the moment. Whereas we've got Ray Lou doing all the shouting, you've got Sammy Lee doing it, and. And Allardyce, Sam does seem a little bit less animated than he has been previously, almost as if he's not given it up, but as as accepted the fact, because I thought he'd have been out of his box being a lot more. And it, it just doesn't seem to have that drive or connection with the players. And, and I, I wonder if it's because there's no fans there as well. He's not getting G'd up as much as he normally would. Look, one of the things that, Matthew will understand where I'm coming from here because we went to a, a West Ham uh, away game. It was the the first game, I think, at the Olympic Stadium between Palace at West Ham and Andy Carroll scored that bicycle kick. Palace were 3-0 down in like within like an hour. And I was really frustrated because I, I appreciate this was early on in, in Allardyce's um, reign at Palace, but he didn't leave his, his seat until sort of like the 70th minute. He was sort of sat there, very much like he was today, you know, cross legs and let, let Sammy Lee do all the work, which isn't too unlike, to be fair, what we see Roy doing with, with Ray Lewington as well. But that that irks me a little bit. And that, that, I, I never really warmed to Alan Dice, if I'm honest, as, as Palace manager, perhaps because of that, but also, you know, perhaps because of, of other things that had happened previously, you know, in, in the media as well. I was pleased to get one over him, to, over him today, if I'm honest, I'm pleased to see Palace win. And, and he mentioned post-match in his interview that, that West Brom, you know, I think they created 12 chances, but had one shot on targets. So it's very much like the situation we were in, Matthew, that you alluded to before. Um, on, on Palace performances, you know, I agree with everything you boys have said. Gary Cahill, I thought, was immense. Uh, probably my man of the match, if I'm honest. Uh, Czech Kurute nearly made one error trying to leave it for the Presente Guaita and then made an outstanding tackle um, on the edge of the six-yard box to, to, to clear the ball, to, almost to, to make up for his mistake, make a recovery. Without Gyro's giving a penalty away, without exactly, giving a penalty yeah. away, that and that was that. Very that was also tackle. good at a tackle, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Gyro was perhaps one. You know, I've been a little bit harsh on Gyro in the last couple of pods, but I, I think that he's probably a bit lucky at the moment that he hasn't got any any real competition for that for that holding midfielder spot. You know, if there, if there had been a, a James McCarthy or even a James McArthur fit, I reckon they would have started ahead of Gyro, if I'm honest, given the form that he's in at the moment. But yeah, Luca did well, Jordan. Bustled around well. As they came into life, especially in the second half, we did a nice little run and shot down right the throat of Sam Johnston. And, and Tech has had another shot tipped over. So no one really, you can you can say, didn't pull, pull their weight today. One thing was interesting was Wilf got fouled ahead of a lot. And I wonder if that was a, an Allardyce tactic. Oh, no, no doubt. No doubt. You know, he's a temperament. They would have told him to go after him. I mean, that that chap, the big chap in the park, his job was clearly anytime he's anywhere near Wilf, 
to 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 do one on him because he it was mm. there was I mean the early on it got a reaction didn't it and um, yeah. I, yeah. I feared he might get booked for that actually at that point in time but the ref was sensible about it. But um, did you? Team did continue. Sorry, Matt. I was going to ask. So I'll come to you first, Matt, if I may. Did you actually feel from the moment we went one nil up though? Did you ever feel really under pressure? Did you ever think because I thought at some point they're going to start bombarding us because they they need to win right. They needed mm. to win that game realistically to even give them themselves a slight prayer. And and I, it didn't, I, I kept waiting for, you know, the onslaught to materialise and, and it didn't. And I felt we were comfortable. We, you know, I, I, I felt player for player. We were, we, we matched them across the park, you know, and uh, I did, think you, what did you, you saw feel threatened the, at all? No, no. Well, I, I, I feared in the last 10 minutes that they might up the ante and give it a go, but they didn't really. But actually, what I would say in reverse to that is the reason I think Palace did look comfortable is a because West Brom just lacked the fox in the box, the finisher, the, the sort of that that that's where clearly why, where they are, why they are where well, part of why they are where they are. But sim- similarly, today was one of those best of Roy's performances coming out. The way we set up, there was a moment with about 10, 15 minutes to go when West Brom had the ball and they couldn't get it into the final thirty yards. Because Palace's shape was so good that it just kept coming forward, coming back, coming forward, coming back. It couldn't get anywhere near us, no penetration whatsoever. And I think that's one of the things that if Roy does go, I think we will really, really, really miss our ability to hang on and control and defensively dominate a game because we are so strong with the way we're set up and the shape. Um, so I think that was part of why they didn't get anywhere you know, near. There were a few shots in the first half, and rightly. I think Gallagher had a couple of good opportunities. There was one when he could have shot a bit earlier. Similarly, in the second half, Benteke had one where I know you guys were texting in it, when he, he, kicked, he shouldn't have taken a touch. He should have just mm. whacked it first time. There was another one, the ball came across a PVA deep uh, free kick, I think it was, or it was like the corner, ball in from the, um, from the main yeah. stand side. And again, if you just hit that one, you know, at a Brighton sort of volley, you know, it would have been... Um, or it would have been a better chance. So I, th- I, th- I thought there was enough in us going forward as well today. I'd say the high press as well. So that's, I, th- I really enjoyed the game today. I thought, because West Brom offered something as well going forward. It's just they didn't, maybe, maybe I enjoyed it because they didn't threaten too much. It was like a mm. nice game to watch without being too fearful of them scoring at any point. And do you feel comfortable now? 37 points, Matt, job done. <laughs> so so I'm, I'm confident because with Roy, I don't think we'll ever be in relegation fear. I really don't. Um, but uh, obviously, uh, as Palace have experienced with until it's mathematically done, you're never going to tick it off. But yes, Kev, I think we're good. Luke? I don't... Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I, certainly. And, and Kev, we were speaking about this pre-match, uh, pre-match, pre-pod. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're actually 11 points off fifth and 11 points off 18th. So, you know, we, we, we should really be start talking about our European tour next season. And, and <laughs> for that, really. uh, you're over Conference League, here we come. <laughs> We've got, go on, Ken. Yeah. Which way are you looking? And up or down? Uh, do you know what I'm looking? I'm hopefully looking up. I mean, the great Arsenal were only one place above us at the moment, um, one point more. I know they've got a tough game tomorrow. Big up the uh, Graham Co from the uh, the Spurs fanzine and all those boys, and also Mr. Joel Williamson from Arsenal. They're all going to have a tough day tomorrow. We know. So uh, looking forward to um, that game tomorrow. Uh, but no, I. I uh, what if you'd said to us we could finish 11th I would have taken that you know with the the way the games have gone today Leeds was a tough nil nil with Chelsea 
I know we've got a lot of tough games, but whereas I think last year we capitulated after the um, mm. Bournemouth game, I don't think that's going to happen this year. I actually don't think we will capitulate. And I, I can see us, you know, getting, possibly getting 10th. I, I know that might sound a bit of a, you know, because Aston Villa aren't playing brilliantly at the moment. I know they've got a few games ahead and there are a few points ahead, but we've still got, what, nine games to go? So, you know, there's some very winnable games there. So, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go upwards. My my although it is actually empty, my glasses are full. <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, boys. All right, so I'm gonna say, uh, yeah, let, why not? Let's push on for tenth. And if it is Roy's last year, wouldn't it be great if we could have a top ten finish? If it is Roy's last year, let's see. And Kev, you can top you can top that uh, glass up in a break, mate. Oh well, we're having a break. I'm loving this. I'm loving this on a Saturday night, boys. It's only so we can get another drink, Kev. It's only so we can top up our beers and wine. See <laughs> <laughs> right. Mid-table mediocrity, I will take that all day long. Yes, please. Um, mm. Listeners, we'll be back with you, uh, well, after a very, very brief six-pointer podcast uh, audio clip you're here while we are going to get another beer. Uh, but stay tuned for part two. We're going to talk about some of the um, other matters surrounding Crystal Palace in the past seven days. <laughs> Welcome back to part two of the Six Pointer Podcast. In part one, we've reflected on a Crystal Palace victory, uh, 1-0 at home today against West Brom. Uh, as part two, we're going to talk about some of the um, talking points for the last uh, week or so around Palace. Um, Luke, one of them was something you picked up on, which was the trust meeting uh, with um, with Palace, uh, which I think happened last in the last week. And they shared the um, sort of key notes and, and talking points from the, from there. In that meeting, there was a really interesting discussion points around the stadium, the training ground, uh, and the contract position number of players that it'd be helpful to, to touch on. And um, I was interested to see the dialogue with the stadium suggest that it hasn't really moved on, but sort of they've used the the time and maybe some of the money um, uh, as part of that to, to to continue with the training ground investment. Um, and I think they said, is it end of next season? It's going to be completed and dusted by. For the start of next season, they're hoping for the, for the academy and the training ground to be sorted, I think. But yeah, it's, it still seems the club are at loggerheads with Sainsbury's over a, a 10 metre stretch of land or whatever it is that, that Sainsbury's are demanding millions for. The, the Palace, you know, understandably are, are are not willing to pay. I think that they also made reference to some compulsory purchase order of some, uh, some of the houses behind um, the main stand that will need to be demolished and, and, and those residents moved on. I think there's there's something to do with the the right for light at there, um, so so they need to take place. But interesting for me, they they started off. You're right, this did take place on the 11th, which was yesterday, then or Friday, wouldn't it be? Yeah, Friday mm-hmm. 11th. No, Thursday, Thursday the 11th. Thursday, sorry, Thursday, yeah. sorry. Um, yeah, welcoming the news that, that the season tickets are still going to be kept at the same amount uh, for, for for the 1920 season, which you know makes sense, especially given that uh, Palace had 18,000, 18, 19,000 season tickets, which dropped to 10,000 renewals throughout this time. So they're obviously hoping to, to, to push up again and get back to that level again and encourage people to come back with, with that sort of pricing. Hopefully there is sort of works within football to, to lobby government to extend the, the fans coming back to the stadium to be the penultimate game of the season as well, which would be nice. So for us, that will be Arsenal at home. Um, and I think we'd be allowed six and a half thousand fans in there. Um, it'll be interesting to see what sort of um, criteria people have to meet. Uh, we assume it will be something along the lines of the top game where 
season ticket holders with the most priority will be prior will be prioritised uh, with the most loyalty points. Sorry, will be prioritised. Um, but those people who did attend, those two thousand people that did attend the Tottenham game, won't be um, eligible as well. So essentially, Matthew, me and you and other season ticket holders didn't make that. That's that's good news because it means we've we've got a higher chance. Our odds are dropped because it's from ten thousand now instead of twelve thousand. So so good news there. Um, yeah, I, I think I think interestingly as well, you 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 touched it, Matthew, as well that the club won't announce or hasn't hasn't previously announced certain contract renewals made them public and this was down to the director of football Dougie Freeman's decision um, and you can understand that certainly when you've got a certain number or as Palace have got you know I don't know how many it is now uh, out, out of contract that you know it might cause some um, issues in the training ground if, if you've got certain players having it publicly announced that they've got their deal and other ones haven't you know especially if they're in the same position they might think well that's me off then so yeah an interesting note from the trust especially so at the end of the, the note where I noted that Palace were considering putting together a, an under-21 team for the EFL trophy, which, you know, I'm sure a lot of Palace fans will welcome the fact that the, they'll be able to watch the, the, the younger players, the kids that are progressing through the academy, you know, the, potentially some of the under-18s who have been doing so well this season on TV and, and, and playing against League One and League Two opposition, which would certainly be more of a test than um, the, these training ground games. There's a real feeling of progression around the youth side at the moment. Uh, and, mm. and Kev, welcome your thoughts on this. So, you know, for years we've had players who have come through, you know, going back to your Ben Watsons and Routledges, uh, you know, right away all the way through to more recent times with Tyrick Mitchell and just before him, Aaron Bissaka. But there's a real feeling that, you know, this is a drive by the club to get more players through, to have more focus and investment and get the, the cream of South London and surrounding at Palace rather than other other London clubs. Maybe maybe your daughter will come and sign for Palace Ladies. You never know. <laughs> um, that's the dream, right? Um, yeah, always. But, but there is there is a real feeling that, that Palace are making the focus and efforts on this. And, you know, that, that the, the, the pictures that I've seen of the training ground as it stands now on the left-hand side of Copers with the with the full um, the full-size team on the, on the right-hand side, the first team, sorry, I should say, on the right-hand side, it is really quite impressive. I know there was a recent mm. game against Norwich um, and Luke, mine, mine and your dad drove past, didn't he, on his motorbike? Mm-hmm. And he stopped and watched it. He said there were hundreds of people watching, you know, from from the roadside. Uh, and that's before you've got the ability to have spectators in there, obviously with COVID and, and just the setup, the building and the the the, the architectural pictures that you've seen. It's mm. so impressive. And news mm. that they're thinking about competing with these lads at that level is all positive, right? Absolutely, Matt. I mean, it's 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 a huge attraction for why people would want to sign you know we know you know next season will be our ninth season in the Premier League okay you you want to bring the youth through you know ultimately that's what we're there to do if we can home grow them as you quite rightly say you know if you look at what Wambasaka's doing and how well he came in what he did what we've sold him for you know, the most really the sale of Wambasaka has actually paid for a lot of the training ground. Let's be honest. Um, so if you if you get a one or two Aaron Wambasakas come through, and we we have always historically, you know, if you go back to the seventies, you know, obviously when you were well, you weren't even here, boys, but I was. You know, <laughs> the, the the team of the eighties, Kenny Sansom and the kids who came through from the youth in the seventies, outstanding players who came through the Palace youth system. And although, although, yes, we didn't become the team of the 80s, which 
you know, the media dubbed us, no one else. We didn't call ourselves the team of the 80s, the media did. So we've always had this long tradition and because of the roots in South London, that that is where we want to bring the cream. And I don't want players in a nice way going to Chelsea from South London. I want them to come to want to play for Crystal Palace, where they, they see, see a realistic roadmap or route to the first team. And, and if we can be a progressive club that does that, and, you know, I've seen some of the pictures and, and it looks fantastic what we're doing. And, you know, we were in the doldrums for a while when what was some of what we were doing in the academy stuff. But that has, you know, that's changed many years ago. And, you know, the club must be commended for the amount of work they're doing to bring these boys through. And I think if you get in two or three of these chaps breaking through, I think a few were on the bench today, possibly maybe one or two. And forgive me, I'm not close enough to it. But if you're getting two or three of the chaps, the younger guys, getting on the bench, getting around the first team, getting the feel for what it is, and then they get their opportunity. That's brilliant. I didn't know about the EFL thing. And if we are planning to do that, then I think that is a massive step forward for what Crystal Palace represent moving forward. And it is all about the future. It's all about the future. Yeah. yeah. And it shows how, how far we progress, Kev, doesn't it? I mean, the fact that Crystal Palace can play an under-21 team, potentially, in, in, in a... A League One and League Two trophies is, is is amazing. You know that that's. I mean, when it first started, it was only teams like Manchester City and and Chelsea and Man United that were doing this. I mean, you know, in previous seasons, you know, we've, we've also seen, well, again, huge clubs like Newcastle and, and and other other teams do it as well. So, for Palace to be doing that, it, it's fantastic, and it is a real selling point. I think for the fact that you hear professional footballers talk about uh, the under twenty three games and the reserve games now and. And, and, the low, and the lower level games and the fact that they're not competitive, they're not as uh, physical. And if you can, you know, chuck these players in to play in League One and League Two games, or, or, or sorry, games against those clubs in those leagues, you know, it's going to be physical. It's going to, it's, it can only set them in good stead. And this, this is Palace's DNA, isn't it? I mean, we've, we've, we've gone through a period of time where we haven't had too many players come through the academy at a time, you know, Kev, you mentioned the team of the 80s, you know, through Matthew and my my time supporting Palace, you know, the, probably the largest part was when we really needed them in the administration and years after that, in the 2010-2011 era, where, you know, you've got the scandals, the clients, that there's a Haas coming through, um, really the backbone, the Jali, the Kieran Cadogan, all those players really coming through and, and adhering themselves to the Palace fans. Um, we haven't been able to do that for a period of time, mainly because... You know, it may be that the players aren't good enough, but also the average age, I think, now of a Premier League debutant is 23 years old. You know, that, that's a long way off John Bostock coming off the bench in 2008 at 15 and three quarters, which is still Palace's youngest, youngest ever player, I believe. So, so yeah, it can only be good things. And um, it's hoped that the quality of, of the players that we're bringing through, the fact that we can now attract um, with our Category 1 Academy players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, like Hudson Adoy, who, who, who were local boys who went to Chelsea because they had the, the facilities that Palace didn't, we'll be breaking through at younger ages and, and it'll be great for us to be in the stadium and, and watch these players come and play in front of the Palace fans. Mm. You, me you mentioned the stadium sort of on the reverse of the positivity of the discussion we just had. I mean, how frustrating is it to still hear that we're in sort of, you know, stuck position with Sainsbury's about a, a sliver of land? I mean, it's 
given you know the plans have been out there for what four five years now must be something like that talking about this you know it's so frustrating that you know we're being blocked by by something as what what seems on the outside as petty i'm sure it's not but yeah as petty as this and, and particularly where palace have made arrangements to, to purchase the houses behind the ground and hopefully give those people a chance to you know get themselves a better quality of life indeed themselves it's just, it's such a shame right yeah and i wonder matthew if, if had the pandemic and the COVID situation not been in place, then, you know, look, Palace fans have been well known for, for making their voices heard uh, and protesting. Perhaps you would have seen throughout this period of time, people protesting before games, after games, you know, to, to almost force Sainsbury's hand a little bit. And and given that they're asking for, for exorbitant amount for, for a sliver of land, um, you do wonder if any sort of public pressure that Palace fans, had they been able to gather in large groups, would have made during this period and and hopefully uh once we, we get back to some sort of normality things will, will progress quite quickly yeah I'm, I'm i'm with you there luke i mean i think we we might have protested I, i'm go i go back to what matt i mean how long ago did we raise it on the pod it must have been what 15 20 pods ago we were talking about this at that time and and it's not moved on at all and you know as, as again Stuff might be going on behind the scenes, but I, I, I think Steve would have come out and shared that type of information if he could. He was quite vocal at the time, wasn't he? Very articulate, but professional. Um, and it does seem frustrating because I think we've always had, let's be honest, a very good relationship with Sainsbury's on match day. You know, I, I can remember when the Sainsbury's end, you know, was built, if you like, um, and when it was all happening. And we, it's always been a, a good working relationship with Sainsbury's. So it, it is a shame. And I do hope that they can find some compromise. And, and who knows, when we get back to the, the new season, I mean, I, I'm really hopeful that, you know, I think we've all endured the football for the last 12 months. Let's be honest, it's almost 12 months since lockdown, we're a bar a week. Um, we've all watched the football and we've all accepted it, but we've we need to get back into the stadiums now. We need people in the stadiums. And and I'd love to think that, you know, those 18,000 Palace season ticket holders that were there will come back in their droves and we get back to that level because I can imagine people desperate to get there. And I, I can only imagine what it must be like if you're a professional footballer, what it's going to be like when you start to get that crowd around. I know, as you said, guys, when we played Tottenham at our place, and that 2,000 sounded like 20,000, you know. So what it's going to be like when the places are full again is just going to be amazing, amazing. Luke? Yeah. Joel, Joel Ward touched it in his post-match interview with Chris Grierson. He, he was asked about potentially players coming back for the Arsenal game. And he mentioned that, you know, he'd love to see it, to, if, if nothing else, just to give that that lap of honour that you do in the last game of the season, show the appreciation to the fans. But also for, on a personal level for him, he mentioned about having his family and his son there and how much of a difference that makes to, to the players as well. So, um, yeah, it's fingers crossed. Uh, everything goes to plan and, and, and we can uh, we can have that time within Sellers and, and make some noise again. Fingers yeah, crossed. Well, and hold on to your nectar cards for now anyway. Um, <laughs> just... just so that was that was really interesting to hear the the minutes for the meeting and thanks to the trust for sharing uh, those points because it is it is good to hear that the club are involved and in dialogue with fans about these situations that do do matter and are important to us and it, and it's obviously really good to have some positivity around 
you know, what is a difficult time for everyone, continued difficult time for everyone around things like the, the training training ground uh, and also obviously the season tickets being back on sale and, and fingers, fingers crossed fans being able to be back uh, in, in the ground for the Arsenal game, obviously in a safe way. Um, on that note, to all our, all our listeners, please do say, st- stay safe, uh, look after yourselves. Um, as I mentioned earlier, we do love hearing from you at Six Pointer Podcast on Instagram and Twitter um, is where you can reach us. Uh, Kevin and Luke, thanks, chaps, for joining me. Um, nice to have a, a nice to have a break, get a drinks break in there as well. Yeah, lovely to have a drinks break, Matt. And for all the all the mums who might be listening, uh, happy Mother's Day for tomorrow from the pod because we know you mums like to listen. So happy Mother's Day to all you mums. We're going to raise a glass for you and say have a good. Hello, one. Kev's mum. Hello, Kev's mum. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, your mum. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to all the mums, indeed. Chats, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Willis, for joining us. We'll be back with you for Pleasure the Everton game in three weeks. Uh, until then, stay, stay safe, look after yourself, and up the palace. Up the, up palace. the palace. The Six Pointer Podcast. Uh-huh.